This is Vixen John, creator of Minute Made New York, and you're listening to Minutes Heard. On today's episode of Minutes Heard, I sit down with Adafe Okporo, who's a Nigerian refugee who came to the United States a few years ago to seek asylum and to seek new freedoms for him as a LGBTQ male. And we had a conversation at his Upper West Side apartment uh, not too long ago, and we just talked about his journey, how he got to the United States, the struggle for him to get to the States, as well as how people received him and accepted him uh, in his newfound home. Uh, We also get into a conversation about his journey, what he currently does as a director of a asylum-seeking shelter, as well as other endeavors that he's going through. So he found me off of Instagram, we connected from there, and I also had the opportunity to see him speak at one of his uh, events, and it was just really compelling to see him in action. So sit back and take a listen to this amazing guy and his amazing story. Yeah, so I, I mean, there's really no setup to it. I don't like do like a, this is the podcast because it's not really like that type of format. You could also do an introduction later and like this podcast is brought to you by Vixen. Yes, that's exactly. Subscribe, like, and share. I did that the other day, um, and I realized editing audio is not my strong suit. <laughs> I I am very good with editing audio. Oh, I'm good. Yeah, extremely good with it. Yeah, I mean, I'm good at recording it. I'm good at like like I just have to get used to the program. I use Adobe Audition. Uh, yeah, so that program, um, when it comes to this, like just sound, there's a studio that came out for content creators it's called Vania Media. Vania, yeah. They 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 opened Vania Productions in Long Island City. Mm-hmm. So it's like they, they do post production and whatever. Yeah. For me, it's just a matter of practicing and getting better at it. Um, but yeah, once I kind of play around with it more, because I've used the program ever so often, but now that I'm kind of getting more into doing this project that you know I'll just have to you know practice makes perfect for my podcast I use Audacity mm, yeah Audacity yeah I used and to use that something you can do strategically is that if you if you have done 50 something episodes of your podcast and you have a lot of download going forward the introductions you can say ads like this podcast is brought to you by Vixen this episode is supported by right well hopefully you know you know, actually, that is, I mean, that's a good idea, obviously, but, like, hopefully I could get some sponsor from this, because for the actual video series itself, like, I'm putting it out there, and it's going to be traction, but maybe the podcast could bring more traction to the series itself, so yeah. it kind of plays, plays a part with each other. And, you know, it's all about, uh, for me, it's all about attention. Mm-hmm. Wherever the attention is, I don't used to have Snapchat, I just downloaded it recently, <laughs> and I discovered that... 200 and something of my friends added me in Snapchat three days. Mm-hmm. So it's attention. And those people don't have Instagram. Right. Most of them don't. They don't care about Instagram. So wherever the attention is, lead funnel from Instagram to my website, Snapchat to Instagram, right. Facebook yeah. to Snapchat. It all kind of feeds each other. Yeah. yeah. So YouTube, podcast now, every attention leads to the podcast because I want to have more traction there. I do cross-posting. Mm-hmm. So if I interview you, one of my friends, the last guy I interviewed, he has 18,000 followers on Instagram. He has like 11,000 followers on Facebook and Twitter. So when we cross posts, we get a lot of lead from him and like mm-hmm. back and forth. Yeah, that's fine. Um, so yeah, anyway, so let's get into it. Uh, <laughs> so um, the first question I like to ask everyone 
um, is what's your motivation and what kind of drives you to get up every day and kind of make the best of it and go forward in your work? So my motivation first is that a lot of things have happened to me in the past and I have built upon those things that have happened to me in the past and I use those things as a reason to live for because I could have been dead a long time ago. So just to give you an insight about what I'm saying. So in Nigeria, when I was growing up, one of my friends, because I'm a gay guy, one of my friends, he died of AIDS. So I went to meet him one day. I said, Emmanuel, let's go to the clinic. And he said he wasn't going to go to the clinic because the last time he went there was discriminated. The nurse told him that it's only gay guys that have HPV. Mm. So he was like, no, I'm no longer going back to that clinic. So he died. So I thought that I could have done something better if I was able to educate one nurse about something like that. So I started my work of educating healthcare providers about communicable diseases and how diseases have been transmitted. So that led to me doing this work I'm doing today because I believe that if I could educate one person, it would change the life of thousands of people because that one person could save the life of hundreds. So my motivation is to basically, basically provide education to people on the ground level. But when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I think about is that if I die today, what will people say about me? It gives me a reason to want to act now and not in the future because I don't know what the future holds for me, but I know what I will do today. So my number one motivation is that if I die, I want to live on a good note. So why don't I act today that I have the opportunity to act? So it motivates me. I wake up I like today is the day I have to do what I have to do to save lives out there. Because tomorrow, I don't know what is in stock for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you never know what's promised tomorrow. That's what my dad always says. Uh, he's like, you know, you got to be grateful because you never know what's promised for tomorrow. Something of that effect. Of that <laughs> nature. Yeah, yeah, not those exact <laughs> words. But, um, yeah, so um, just kind of talk to, I mean, you do a lot. I mean, fair enough. <laughs> fair you, enough, you yeah. do You do a lot. But, like, kind of just briefly talk about um, some of the things that you do, some of the initiatives that you're part of, and you can cover, you know, the shelter, the book, and all those things. Just kind of briefly go over those different things that you do. Someone told me recently that you live 10 lives. I was like, what do you mean by I live 10 lives? It was like, you have a 9-to-5 job, yes. 9-to-5 job, I work as the executive director of IODG Refugee Shelter in Harlem. And I'm part of different coalitions, but... What led to me doing all these things all together? I was listening to a super soul session where Small and Oprah Winfrey. And where Small from Baltimore wrote the book, The Other Where Small. And it was explaining, it was like, we have work and we have a job. That your work might be something that puts a paycheck or sustain you. That, that's your job. But your work is unending. Even when you retire, you still have work. So I realized that my work is different from my job. But I am lucky to be among one of those people that my work and my job came together. So in the sense that I work as the executive director of a refugee shelter. I became a refugee myself in 2016 when I migrated from Nigeria to the United States. And I wrote a memoir 
about my experience as a refugee. Then I became a board member of First Friends of New Jersey and New York, which provide visitation to refugees who are detained in detention centers. And I begin to speak and raise funds for nonprofits that provide legal services for refugees and asylum seekers. When I was doing all these selfless services, I realized that I also have to build a business. And luckily, I found a consultancy business in the refugee sector in the sense that. Is that going to be loud? Is that the shower? Yeah, wait. I don't think it's going to affect it. Um, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. Maybe not. Um, I, I use low code filter. No, it's fine. Um, you you can keep talking because anything. I mean, I put music under these things anyway, so. Okay. Yeah, it shouldn't be that distracting. So, in the sense that the, um. So. The I found a consulting business surrounding the works of refugee because I discovered there was a problem in this area of my work. When refugees migrate to America, it is difficult for them to have jobs that are well paid because people see their degrees as less of what it is to have a degree in America. So I decided to talk to organizations to see reasons why they should employ people who have experiences from foreign countries. So I founded a consulting firm surrounding promoting workplace diversity of employing. I've been, I'm a black man, a gay man, a refugee, and an African. So I saw that I am I am a minority in all these sectors, but I'm still very good in what I do. That means I have skills to offer. So I decided to talk to organizations to see reasons why they should employ minorities in the workplace. So bridging that gap led to me producing a podcast that is called a Pont Podcast. In French, Pont means bridge. So building bridges in community became my work. So everything I do, my 9 to 5 as the executive director of a refugee shelter, book signing, speaking at events, everything I do is surrounded around building bridges between the most vulnerable and people that have resources. I was speaking to somebody and he told me that, how did you... How did Wall Street come into place? I was like, what do you mean by how did Wall Street come into place? It was like, refugees and migrants who came to America wanted to build securities for their families. Buying ships, buying power to be able to bring their families here led to them investing in credit union and securities. So Wall Street as a concept was formed around, centered around immigrants. The same thing like crypto banking, Western Union is very expensive. If I want to send money back to my family, the fees and charges cost a lot. People started investing in crypto and blockchain, which is free for now. Mm -hmm. So the debt to Western Union is crypto and blockchain. So the work I do doesn't have a specific definition, but I would define my work is, if I would define my work in a word is, being able to wake up in the morning and define what you do. That is a full stop, that, a sentence that will define the work I do. Because I try to give people a reason to live, especially people who have been marginalized for a very long period of time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that, that makes sense. And with all the work that you're doing, you're able to kind of feed into each one of those causes. 
Yeah, like the work goes into each order. For example, if I go to speak about my book, it's a memoir on immigration, and I speak about immigration policies, it ties into the work I do as the director of a refugee shelter who caters for refugees who are minorities like myself. So it's all fit into each order that when I go and do one, I lead it into another, and it just keep on rolling, knitting one into another. So I am grateful to be able to find myself doing something I am passionate about. For me, it doesn't look like work, but sometimes I wake up and I'm like, I'm tired. But when I remember the purpose of doing this work, I always have that energy to want to do more so that people can be able to be educated about it, to be able to pass the messages, to understand that this work we are doing is not for ourselves. Because today, we're fighting for immigration. Tomorrow, we're fighting for Black Lives Matter. Next, tomorrow, we're fighting for the, the poor. Um, the people that are mostly hit by climate are poor people. So it all feeds into each other. There was an article I read, wrote recently. It's like, activism is the new game of thrones. Everybody wants to cut a niche for themselves. I am into climate change. I'm into poverty. But women's march. But all minorities are passing through the same thing. Mm -hmm. The need for our voices to be heard. So for us to form a strong movement, we have to come together and fight together. Not forgetting our various differences or our various experiences is important. But we have to come together for the movement to be stronger than what it is now. Yeah. And there's so much voices too. I mean, the thing is, you know, especially with you saying like, you know, you're black, you're gay, you're African, you know, you're a refugee, you know what I'm saying? You have multiple voices and it comes down to which, it shouldn't come down to which voice is most important or which is more valuable, but you're saying, but considering that you have all these causes on your belt, it's kind of like you have to project different voices and sometimes one may be drowned out over the other because people might see you in one aspect. You know, people might just view you as just a refugee. Yeah. And that's it. You know what I'm saying? So they, they put everything else to the side, but you're, you encompass more than just that. Yeah. So, um, so speaking of refugee, I mean, I think for me, one of the main reasons why I wanted to profile you is because for me, at least, I, I mean, we hear the, the term refugee thrown around in like the news and media and, and all these things, but I don't think much people have a solid idea of, of what a reg refugee actually is. Or whom a refugee is, and kind of like the process of 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 them going from whatever country they're from to here, you know what I mean? I think I think once again it's just a term that's just used a lot, and we hear it a lot, but we don't really know the intricacy. So I guess I want to ask you, like, for you, what is the experience of a refugee like? Um, you know, going from your country and coming here, and just kind of like talk about that process a little bit. So, very good question. I have to think a little. Time and places happen to us all. There is no specific definition or term that we encompass what it takes to be a refugee. It's an experience that words cannot really explain. Because, for example, you were born in America and you like Burger King, for example, or McDonald's. And you wake up tomorrow morning and stash is brought to you for breakfast. You have never eaten stash before. It is strange 
for you to say that, oh, I love stash very much, but you have never tasted it. Mm. So me, stash, yam, roots and tubers, I'm coming, I like stable food I eat every day. I just wake up one morning and discover that I have to eat all dogs and burgers. These are not things that are tradition to me. So when people say that refugees are like people looking for a better life, it is true. But there's an underlying condition that leads for those people to look for a better life. I don't like the snow or minus something degrees. It's freezing. I was born in a country that the lowest we can go is like midsummer in America. So for me to live all those experiences, I want to come and live in a place that I have no family or friends or network, leaving my degree, my professional experience to start all over again is to tell you that there is a need for me to flee, to leave my family. I have no family or friends here. I'm all alone. When it's Christmas, everybody go and celebrate with their family. Thanksgiving, I'm all alone. So for me to want to take on this journey, it's a lot that it's, it has a lot of statement to say that even me cannot travel back to my country because I have lost the protection from my country as a refugee. There are some countries I am banned to travel to. Who wants to have that experience if there is not an underlying cause that make people to flee? I have an underlying cause that made me to flee. But the refugee experience is multifaceted. It's not just one reason. I've been thinking to flee my country since 2013, but I didn't flee because it is difficult to pack your bags and say, I want to start a different life. It is frightening to wake up tomorrow morning and you're in China. You don't understand Mandarin. And how are you going to communicate? Where will you go to? Who will you turn to? Are you going to sleep on the train? What are you going to eat? People take all those things into consideration and still make them giant stride. So the refugee experience is multifaceted. For me, I had to flee because it was between life and death. I had to choose, do I want to live or do I want to die? But they say that a living dog is better than a dead sacrifice. I choose to live because I don't know what is in stock for me in the future. Most people fleeing choose to leave. The same way our great-grandparents, when they were fleeing, they choose to leave. That is why we are able to come as offspring from them. So the refugee experience now, there's a lot of misconception about what it takes to be a refugee. People have forgotten that we are first human before every labor that comes before us. So the refugee experience is multifaceted. Different reasons make different people to flee. For me, my country passed a law in 2014 that criminalized same-sex by 14 years imprisonment. An association of gay men by 10 years imprisonment. Charia law in Nigeria punished gay men by being stoned to death. People do not know the privilege they have to be free gay men in America or to live freely, to wake up, set an alarm to wake up by 5 a.m. And you wake up by 5 a.m. In Syria, Iraq, and different parts of the world, people set alarm to wake up by 5 a.m. And they never wake up because war, a bomb, suicide attack, displaced them. Now we are experiencing climate change, that drought is making people to flee. Mm -hmm. 
So a refugee is someone, by definition, who is out of his country and is not offered protection by his own country. So for me, I came to America seeking asylum. I have to get to the border of America for me to be able to ask for asylum because the refugee, um, they have five protected grants. Being gay in Nigeria is not accepted by the laws of my country. But if I go to Ghana to ask for a refugee status from America, it will take me two, three years mm. to get the refugee status, stay in refugee camp. So I'm one of those privileged people that have resources to be able to flee, to come to the borders of America to ask for protection. But there are other refugees who stay in this country two, three years, they are vetted before they have been granted a refugee status and they have flown to this country. So it's different experiences, different people, different experiences. Right. Yeah. People flee for different reasons. And um, I think that's one of the things that people don't grasp, you know what I mean, when it comes to that. Because once again, I think the news and media kind of warp it to where, oh, well, you just hear refugees from Syria are coming into this country and, and blah, blah, blah. But they don't understand why. And even if they do, for example, then it's kind of just shoved under the rug. You know what I mean? And it's like, well, obviously there's the civil war in Syria that's happening and that's why a lot of people are migrating out and especially in the UK, for example, you know, people are opening their doors to those people coming in. But, you know, there's obviously some controversy about that and that, I think that's why the term itself has been kind of sullied. You know what I mean? Because yeah. a refugee is not necessarily supposed to be a bad person. You know, they're supposed to be someone that is just, once again, seeking safety, seeking asylum, seeking a better Protection. life for themselves outside of their horrible elements that are happening in their homeland you know what i mean it's not necessarily the choice that they want to make but it's yeah. the choice that they have to make it's like, like i have to like people are people wonder you know there's a current argument that refugees are like economic burden to america but are people wonder why new york has been the financial capital of the world new york city had one of the highest amount of migrants that came to America through Ellis Island, New Jersey, Georgia City, and they migrated to New York City. The harbor of New York City has been centered around the multidisciplinary and multicultural ideas that found that are found in New York City. That is not found in almost every part of the world. So when people who are ready to do jobs that people are not ready to do. Are those people coming to take the jobs that you are doing? No. They are coming to do the jobs that ordinary Americans would not want to do. Manual labor, hard jobs, working in factories. These are not jobs that Americans want to do. But these people have to do it because they have to survive. Mm-hmm. But when immigrants migrate to America, they pay taxes in America. They contribute to the growth and diversity of what makes America, America. Because if it's just one nationality that is found in America, they would have not been called the greatest country in the world. Mm-hmm. It is named the greatest country in the world because every people from every part of the world lives in America. That is what makes this country what it is. And if we try to become one kind of people, we lose that multi 
diversity and multidisciplinary that we bring together or we bring to the table and we lose the respect that others have for us. I believe that diversity and inclusion is not an option. It is a mandate. For example, I will just take for example that Nigeria, the country I came from, we are one of the most diverse people on planet Earth. We have several hundred and something spoken dialects. Very confusing to implement any strategy in the country. From street to street, people speak different dialects. You don't understand what people are saying. But that multi-ethnic group have been one of the reasons why we have been called the giant of Africa because there's a stride of people trying to understand other people. That is the experiences that we need to be having the conversation of. It's not about who is this person. It's like pointing fingers at others, but knowing why this person exists and why we should share this space together. I think that that is to be the bane of our conversation most of the time. Yeah, no, yeah, that that's that's something once again that people don't really get to understand. You know what I mean? Because I mean, when we're talking about just the inclusion of of people coming here and it, and America being diverse, right? Uh, you have people coming from the South, Mexico. You have people coming from overseas, like Africa and Europe, and all these things. And you know, we it it's weird because America prides itself on its diversity, but at the same time, adverses it as well. Yeah, you know, which is so odd. Um, which kind of leads into the next question. So, okay, you you migrated from um, from Africa here. Um, just kind of go through. I mean, because obviously you've you've come a long way, you know, from from you coming here. But what was that initial like, like landing here? What was that process like for you, in the sense of kind of getting on your feet or at least starting to starting this new life of yours you know like like what was that process like was it I mean obviously it wasn't easy um, but what were kind of like the challenges that you had to face that you thought might have made this experience like not worth it or was it more trouble that you were I guess the question is was migrating here more trouble than it was worth or was it like you after everything that you had to go through to get here, was it all worth it in the end? I mean, obviously for your safety, but on top of that, like, you know, the ref, the refuge, the asylum process coming here, was every all those hardships that you had to go through worth it? So, like, I have to explain some of the hardships so you have a perspective of how difficult it was. Mm-hmm. I've never been in a jail before all my life. I've never been put on handcuffs all my life. I came from a 10 hours flight to JFK. Immediately I landed. I was taken to a cell in JFK. When I was removed from the cell, I was put on handcuffs and leg and my waist and thrown into a bus and I was driven to a jail. I stayed in that jail for six months. When I was released from the jail, I had just $50 in my pocket. I bought a SIM card for $42, like a phone SIM card. I had just $8. I was staying in a shelter in Newark. How am I going to eat? Mm. It was really 
cold for me because it has spring. I've never that weather, early spring. That weather, I'm not used to that kind of weather. I don't have protective clothes because I came from Africa. We use light clothes because of the sunny weather. So it's very difficult. But today, I will tell you the truth: is that freedom tastes good. Everything I have suffered up to this day made me who I am. Because when I think back to how I started, I realized that I have moved with a very swift space, pace, like I've moved very fast. If I can get to this point at this short period of time, October is making it two years I've been in America and I was detained for six months, so probably 18 months I've been a free man in America. Within this time frame, I've been able to build what I've been able to build. That means America gives people the opportunity to be who they are. And that is one of the most important things of every human is that when you're able to be free, to be who you are, it gives you opportunity to think in a better life, better life than in survival mode. In Nigeria, as a gay man, you're walking, you're looking at your back because you don't know what will happen. You're always terrified. You lose your job when people get to know that you are gay. So the freedom of being who you are is tasteless. And for you to know that you have opportunity to be greater than what you are yesterday gives you the strive, the drive to want to do more. So from living to a shelter, now I'm living on the Upper West Side. So it's like every single day, I don't regret anything that have happened. I wish it was done. I wish the onboarding was better than this. But I am still grateful that I am able to live and be free to be who I am and to strive to be better and to build a life for myself. I'm just 28 years old. Still have like 50 years on my belts to live. So in 50 years, the story can change. Mm. So if the story can change in just two years, 50 years will be a huge and humongous story. Our landmark, our imprint on earth is going to say for ourselves. So like, I am grateful for everything that has happened. The struggle is not easy. Thinking back at it, like that night I was released, the next morning, I wanted to get food and I went to the restaurant. They told me that the food was $11 and I had $8. Could you get the food? I went to a church in Newark, St. John, St. Francis. It's a Catholic church. They had a soup kitchen. They served me coffee and bagel. I ate with a bunch of homeless people on the streets. I ate, I drank the coffee. I went back to the shelter, YMCA, lie down on my bed. I was just thinking, what am I going to do? But struggles, adversities, have two effects. They can paralyze us. It's all about the brain and how we perceive it. They can paralyze us or they can energize us. I went through therapy because I had post-traumatic stress of all the attacks I've gone through. And during therapy, I realized that all these things are like mind-fucking. But if I continue to be in those places, I will never amount to something. Mm-hmm. And it was the drive to want to be somebody that made me flee. Because I knew that my life and my story cannot end in such a way. So that drive that made me to be able to flee and come to a place that I knew nobody have kept me going. 
till today and it will still keep on going i have a picture of my nigerian passport and my social security application that's the 57 on the line to apply for social security so i remember that there was a time that i didn't have social security so even though i have little payments in my social security now i realized there was a time that i didn't even have a credit score or nothing i was just a novice but today like things are like progressing and I'm building a new family, meeting people, building network, sustaining and growing every single day to where I am today. That's a great story. And I think I think one of the main reasons why, you know, just talking to you right now is important is because for me as an American, I have that privilege of not knowing what it's like to kind of have to flee a country because my life is on the line. You know, I was born here. I was born with all the privileges and the benefits of being American. I appreciate the fact that you accept this privilege. There are some Americans that tell me that I don't have any privilege. I was like, to have an American passport is a privilege. Mm -hmm. You travel to so many countries without visa. Some people say, I don't see the reason to see the privilege. I was like, fuck you. Sorry. (laughs) So like, it's a privilege to be an American. Mm -hmm. It's a privilege to be a human being. Do you know how many spams it takes that how many spams that are released then you once trying to single like you have won a fucking lottery to be alive because so many spams are being wasted but yours formed into a zygote and you became a human being a homo sapien for you to be a human being is one of the greatest things that has ever happened to you so it's a privilege to be human it's a privilege to be alive even people that are suffering in Yemen, Bangladesh, and every other places, they are still grateful that they are alive. So it's a privilege to be an American. Even me, it's a privilege to be a refugee in America. Because mm-hmm. there are so many people traveling through the refugee journey and they have never gotten protection. They get to the border. Some people are still in detention, but have been granted freedom. So it's a privilege. We should understand this privilege sometimes. Right. Yeah. And that's and this is why it's most... I guess it's most like you're most grateful to like give back. You know what I mean? It's like it's it's a, a it's a direct relationship that you have with people that have went through what you've went through and you said some people have even made it this far as as you have. You know, so your work makes it even much more important to kind of spread that message and to have those voices that don't have the opportunity to be heard to be amplified. Seriously, that is why I said I am grateful for my work and my job. To be the same something i'm passionate about when i was in detention somebody i was detained with was released from detention center and came to my shelter and discovered that oh i knew in the detention center as and you now you are the executive director of this organization i have like 18 staffs that are under me but it was like but we're together in the detention center the other day so it's like dramatically everything just turned around so that could be me that could be you. That could be anybody. That is the refugee story. We don't know who will be displaced tomorrow. For what reasons whatsoever. For example, let me give you a story. During the 9-11, a friend of mine I interviewed for my podcast yesterday, he wrote a book called China of Peace. He was flying with his partner from Paris to New York City. Um, so the 9-11 was attacked so all planes coming to new jersey new york area 
are being diverted. So they diverted them to Gardner in Canada. Mm. It's a little city, Newfoundland, they call it. They became refugees there. They stayed there for 11 days. No flight have to leave, no phone, nothing. Those people of Gardner, it's a small city, came out, took care of them. So he started a, a um, challenge, pay it forward. Him and everybody, they, they did the Broadway come from away, from his story. Mm. Is the Kevin in Broadway come from away. That's his real life story. It was the one that was displaced in Gardner. So they never knew that they would become a refugee one day because they are Americans, but they were displaced on that particular period of time. And those people in that village came out and showed them kindness. And he had a new spiritual awakening from that time. Since then, he discovered that it could be anybody. So when we talk about refugees, it's like an abstract concept. No, if it's people we see every single day. Take, for example, North Carolina, the flood that is happening there. America is a big country. If it was a small country, those people in North Carolina, they would have run to Virginia. They are refugees in Virginia. You understand? But America is a big country that we have all these um, places we could fall back to that we never realized that these refugees we are talking to are like people that it can happen to anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that's, that's a good point. That's absolutely a good point. Yeah. We, uh, once again, it's just we here don't like we we just hear the stories of people coming here, but we don't know, or I guess we don't want to recognize the the backstory of it. So as I said, it's it's the term refugee itself gets people very uncomfortable or gets people very confused because they have an idea of what it is, but in the grand scheme, you know, there's so much more behind that than just people that are just coming here for a better life. There's a divide, which I agree to. The divide is, is it? America's responsibility to accept these refugees. They might be right that it's not America's responsibility to accept the refugees. Mm-hmm. I agree. But part of their responsibility as world power is to provide help to these countries. So, for example, the Trump administration cut the amount of refugees that are accepted in America. It used to be 100 and something. It was reduced to 55. Now it has been reduced to 35. Even though it's not the responsibility of America, but there are little ways you could support that we go a long way. There's a saying that I always say is that for somebody who have nothing, something is everything for him. We, we have this big country. We have all this opportunity. Those people, they don't. Just the opportunity to be able to perceive living as a human being that can have healthcare system or something is a privilege that other people don't have, which we have to acknowledge. That is part of our responsibility as world power to offer help to other countries. If we don't want to take that responsibility, then let's drop the power and give it to other people that are ready to accept the responsibility. Right. No, very, very much so. And there's something I have realized is that even though the government is chaos, people in America are very good people. Americans are very good. Out of kindness by individuals, the government cannot even show that out of kindness. Right. What Americans do for each other, <laughs> even in my country, I don't believe. People are very transparent 
people are loving, when they give a word to, I'm going to support you with this, they follow through with their word. That is why if someone in America said that I love you, I believe them because they are saying it from a place of truth because they are not obligated to say it. Right. But they decide to say it because they really mean it. But in my country, if someone says I love you, I'm afraid if that person wants to kill me or trade with the transparency. So this, the, our culture here is built on, on the foundation is built on valuing ourselves and valuing our diversity. So if there's anything I have to preach about is that we shouldn't look more at our diversity, but we should focus more on our intersectionality. Mm. Our intersectionality is that white gay man and black gay man, gay man. Black American and African Nigerian in America, black. Women, whites, women and black women, women's rights. We should look at where our intersectionality lies. And our intersectionality all lies as the human race. Yeah, so we should focus on the humanity, not on our differences. But I don't blame them. Because psychologically, it is a thing that humans want to claim that they are superior to others. If it's not by class, it is by race. If it's not by race, it is by religion. Even among sports teams, you see that difference is that LeBron James is better than Coburn Bryant. Because humans have that placebo effect that they are among the top of the class in each category. For example, I, as an African black man, feels sometimes uncomfortable around some African-Americans because they feel they are born in America and they are better than other blacks around the world. It's not true, but it's a perception mm -hmm. I have gotten as a result of vibe. I have also met some African-Americans that took me as brothers that even some Nigerians have never treated me that way. They love me and they care for me. So if I use one to judge all, I have failed in my judgments. Yeah. I have to look at an average of all how do people relate. I wouldn't use how I related to Vixen to how I related to Brown because Vixen and Brown are two different people. Right. Two black people have two different personalities. Twins have two different personalities. I'm much more two people from two different backgrounds. Environments um, influence us, culture, religion, all these things influence us. So we shouldn't focus more on like, how are we better than these people? Or I don't think that Big Gates is going to buy a Lamborghini to brag to me mm -hmm. that he's more richer than me. The statistics shows that he's richer than me. So poor people or people who don't have a sense of their worth try to look for things to belittle to others. Right. Yeah, no, it's, uh, as you said, it's a psychological thing and it, we kind of fall into it sometimes. And, you know, with those differences, it's sometimes when it's like blatant, you know, when you can literally see the differences, how certain people are treated or certain people are, are valued, that's what, that's when that 
um, intersectionality that you're saying kind of falls apart. You know what I'm saying? Because in essence, it should be that way. It should be us trying to find the common threads for us to work together to kind of come over these issues. But when you see that a certain group of people are treated differently than another group and it's supposed to be under the same thread, that's when, you know, the cause kind of kind of goes to the side and, you know, those those differences get in the way of the work, true. so to speak, you know? So true. Um, but let's switch gears real quick. Um just a couple more questions. Um, talk briefly about your book, um, Bed 26. What's the significance of... I mean, obviously, it's just your memoir talking about your experience, but like, what's the significance of the title and kind of what do people... What do you want people to get from reading it? Which, by the way, I would love to get a copy of the book. Yeah, I would, I would get a copy. <laughs> so, when I was growing up on media, there was nothing about LGBTQ persons. When I was growing up, there was no books about LGBTQ persons is not even discussed within family and friends. So when I was in detention center, I realized that I was going to be free. I need to be able to share stories of LGBTQ persons. My memoir is the first memoir written by any gay man from Af West Africa. So it was to be able to educate people that people like us exist and we are around you younger people to be able to have the sense to believe that this guy is just like me, so why do I feel I am different? For them to be able to see literatures, to draw inspiration from one reason. The second reason was to expose to the world that because of my sexuality, I lost my nationality to be treated in such kind of unfair way. To educate people the reasons why people flee their countries not just because they want to flee but they have genuine reasons to flee fourthly is to be able to provide a concrete evidence for years to come that there was a time that we were not able to live freely as gay men in nigeria the bed 26 was the bed i slept when i came to america mm. so my name is Edafi. But I lost my name to the bed number because in jail, they don't call you by your name, yeah. but they call you by your bed number. Mm -hmm. So the first name they were calling me in America was bed 26. So you have to make it a concrete evidence that this is a pattern that should not continue to exist because you, you make these immigrants to lose the dignity mm -hmm. and sense of believing in themselves. There was a plane crash that happened in America, back, back, back in the 50s. A pilot and a wife, those are the only two names that appear. The other 16 names, you didn't know what they wrote. Deportee, Mexican deportee, mm. and their numbers. Americans have been known for naming immigrants with numbers. Even people, when they migrate to Ellis Island, they call their name, their name is too long, they give them a number. When I came here, they gave me an alien number, 209-344-415. So they were calling, they cannot call that long alien number, so they call me by my bed number. Mm. So it's just to mark the mistreatment we face as a result of all these intersectionalities. So I tried to bring them together in a one single memoir. At the end, it became an inspiration because I wrote about how I started from nothing and I started rising for people to understand 
people that migrate here that the beginning might be very difficult, but there is hope for the future. Mm-hmm. So it's a testimony of everything I went through to be documented on paper for eternity. Oh, that's great. I mean, the fact that you're able to like just recall all those experiences for people to actually sit there and read and to take in, you know, it, it adds it adds to what you're doing and it helps paint that picture and it helps to create that narrative that people should understand what you've been through, but on a larger scale, it's like, all right, I'm just one story to this whole plot, you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, I think it's, it's really important, especially... I mean, for the whole premise of Minute Maid New York, for me at least, is that we tend to judge people based on what we see. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, sometimes. and it's, you know, for me, the reason why this series is so important is because, you know, especially in a place where we live, like New York, you know, we knock into so much people. You know, we interact with so much people either like commuting or traveling or in our workspaces and all these things and we don't really know them until we actually sit there and have a conversation. True. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, one of those famous quotes is like, you know, if you just were to take a minute to get to know me, you know, <laughs> like you would, you would understand who I am and what I've been through and realize that we have some commonalities and we have some differences. So, you know, for me, similar to how Bed 26 is significant in, in that was the first level of identity that you got in America, for me, Minute Maid New York is a matter of us literally taking a minute out of our day to get to know someone new and to understand who they are outside of just that physical representation or that first initial, you know, interaction that we have with people, just seeing them and either judging them based off of just that and not getting the actual opportunity to, like, get to know someone. Virginia Woolf wrote a memoir, and from a memoir, I understood that Writing is a way of healing. Mm-hmm. From what you just said, it made me understand that not just only writing, speaking is a way of healing. Why is that? When you go to meet a psychologist, when you speak, the psychologist is just listening. Mm-hmm. One thing that we need to develop as a culture is the act of listening. Listening in a deep sense to understand and not to criticize. To understand why people, like when you made that as an explanation, I remember that in Africa, one of the therapies section people have is that they come together as a community and people share stories. Mm-hmm. And why people share stories in the night when the stars are out, they look at the stars together, play drum and go home. So when you are able to interact with people and know people more, you begin to heal because you are able to talk about your experiences and everything and they share their experiences and you listen. And that, pe- and that person goes home knowing that, oh, this person really listening to me. That means somebody really value what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. You understand? So it's very important for us to go beyond that surface level of understanding. Thanks for listening to this episode of Minutes Heard. Make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. And follow or subscribe to Minute Maid New York on Facebook, Instagram, and on YouTube. Do you have a minute?